Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 36 of Off The Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all for downloading our show today, wherever you are listening. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Well, we finally made it, people. It has taken over two years, a childbirth, days in hospital, coronavirus and all, but we have finally gotten to our 50th episode of the podcast. Now, I do realize that this is episode 36 of season two, but altogether, including season one, today is our 50th show, and I could not be prouder. So thank you all very, very much for your continued support of the show. It's extremely humbling and very much appreciated, and I couldn't think of a better way to celebrate than having two huge guests on in former Australian head coach Jaco Vaharan and Aussie swimming superstar and fan favorite, Bronte Campbell. Now, given the lengths of both our chats, I've broken this episode up into two, part one and part two, for you all to enjoy both interviews a little bit easier. And we will start with part one, outgoing Australian head coach, Mr. Jaco Vahara. Now, I spoke to Jaco last week and, uh, and discussed his tenure with the Dolphins team, how he has seen the team evolve over the past seven years, his own coaching with Peter Van Den Hoogenband and Inga De Bruin, as well as his plans for the future. So if you're listening in the car, turn the volume up. If you're listening at home, make sure your uh, your phone is fully charged and get ready because episode 36, part one, with Jaco Vaharan starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second inning. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. Thorpe is starting to go away from him. Oh, he's blowing him away now. Thorpe's gone more than a metre on Vanderhoof's hand. But the symmetry of all eyes is the great Phantom Butterfly, Susie O'Neill. He's coming back. Oh, he surely can't do it to him again. Chavis in the white hats. Dots in the black hats. And Pats has got it. I cannot believe he's done that. Thorpe to Thorpe. Thorpe the hall. Thorpe goes in. Australia win. Joining me today on the show is a man who has led Australia to great success over the past seven years as head coach of the Dolphin swim team. He's a former Netherlands coach of the decade, synonymous with coaching swimming legends Inga de Bruin and Peter van den Hoogenban. It's a very big welcome to Off the Block Swimming Podcast to Jaco Vaharan. Jaco, how are you, mate? I'm very good. Thanks for having me. Not a trouble at all, mate. Now, obviously, uh, all our listeners know I'm coming to you from the studios down in Sydney. Where, where have we caught you today? Uh, I'm on the Gold Coast, and uh, like everyone else, I think in this time, being stuck at home for uh, at least the last three months, yeah. uh, just being able to travel around Queensland a little bit, but that's, that is as far as it gets. Well, I, I talk to a lot of um, swimmers that are from the Gold Coast, and I've got to tell you, yes, lockdown has been tough for everyone, but I think the people living on the Gold Coast have a little bit easier. They, they've got that special, you know, they've got the beaches, they've got the warm weather still. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think we've been incredibly fortunate here. And I, I have a lot of friends and family members, obviously, in the Netherlands. Uh, they are wor- way worse off than we are here mm. uh, across Australia. But I think particularly the Gold Coast, uh, 
yeah, if there was a place to be during a lockdown and a pandemic, it's probably here. <laughs> exactly. Now, mate, what a crazy time it's, it's been in the last four to five months with all this, you know, COVID-19 stuff. And, you know, the Olympics got pushed back a year, which obviously, you know, had to happen for the fairness of, of all the athletes around the world. But, you know, it, it did throw your timeline out as far as, you know, going to Tokyo as the Australian head coach. How have you handled that personally with, with all those challenges? Well, yes, it has been uh, a very strange time, I think, for everyone. And we we actually, we swam our last meet, uh, or the last meet I attended was the New South Wales State Championships. Mm-hmm. In and February? Fro- yeah, no, that was in March oh, yep. this year. Yep. Uh, and after that, it became very quickly clear uh, that the country would go down in, in the lockdown uh, that there would be restrictions. We saw uh, all over the world already countries going into lockdown and and being way worse than than here in Australia. So yeah, that, then it became clear. Like, well, actually, now the Olympics are at risk as well, and that decision wasn't made obviously at that point in time. But it came pretty clear, and for the first few months, let's say. March, April, May, we've been really focused on on working with the coaches, working with the athletes. Uh, that means a lot of online communication, just like anyone else, mm. and trying to stay in touch and engage. And at that time, actually, I didn't I didn't really consider well what what am I doing here? Uh, am I staying? Am I able to stay? Uh, but it was more more really working and making sure we 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 stayed engaged and connected to everyone. But then came like May, June, uh, where we are now, and a few weeks ago uh, gave it a lot more thought. Um, Yeah, could I extend uh, my contract? Well, from a Swimming Australia point of view, that was definitely possible. And it was very nice to hear from some coaches and athletes as well. You know, it's it's always appreciated, of course, if people say, well, we we would love you to stay, but what are your plans? And unfortunately, um, yeah, the family planning is different. Uh, I have two teenage boys, uh, and particularly the oldest one is now 16. And we always wanted to go back to the Netherlands to enroll him in school there, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously in a different language than it is here. Yeah. And after and after seven years of English class, uh, English lessons. Uh, he really needs to go back to the Netherlands now to pick up the language mm. again. They still speak Dutch, but of course, understanding Dutch in school is different than just a casual conversation with someone. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And yeah, so so uh, yeah, we, we, we saw no other option with the family. And then we looked into some scenarios like, is it possible for me to stay here and then sometimes fly back to the Netherlands? But as you know, these are very uncertain times and, mm. you know, you could look at uh, restrictions coming into the country or leaving the country. And at the, at the end of it, it became all too much of a compromise, particularly on the high performance side. I think this great swimming nation deserves a head coach who is there and yeah. who is there consistently and, and is available for everyone uh pretty much every day and i couldn't guarantee that with uh yeah with the current situation in mind so yeah then the decision was difficult um but on the other hand uh didn't really see another option 
Matt, I mentioned at the beginning there you've been at the helm now for the past seven years. In terms of swimming here in Australia and across the board from age group programs to elite programs, what changes have you observed within your tenure and especially like behind the scenes with programming? Well, obviously, I've been really focused on the high performance end. So meaning that I'm uh, working with the coaches who work in our high performance centers and and the the ones, obviously, who coach people on the national team, the Dolphins. Mm. And so that that leads me to about, depending on who makes the team, 15 to 20 coaches each year that I work with on the high performance side. And I think... There's been some really uh, great shifts uh, over the course of these seven years. With, for example, I think one of the major shifts has been to move trials to June, Mm -hmm. uh, which really changed not just the timing of trials, but also our preparation into the benchmark event. So uh, meaning that we go on cam together for longer uh, with um, over the last two years we've been... We've been going uh, for two weeks to Cairns, uh, then going to Nagaoka in Japan. And obviously the idea was to go from there to Tokyo, but we didn't make that this year. But we definitely practiced it the last two years. And I think with success on the, uh, during Pampex and, and last year's World Championships. So so that is a, that has been a huge shift. And, and if you move trials, obviously, a lot of other competitions change as well. So... Uh, at the moment, I think we can be pretty proud that we have a monthly uh, high-level competition, being a, a state championships or a nationals. So starting uh, in December with Queensland states, leading into, uh, let's say, every state every month uh, organizes a state championship. So let's say from the high performance end, we were very grateful that the states were so cooperative to think with us to yeah give that um calendar a a little bit a different a different look and a a more international look because when i started um between april and july uh where in yeah internationally the benchmark event the world championships and olympics of pampax is always in july august uh there, there wasn't many long course meets anymore mm. so so then australia shifted to short course uh which were, which was quite an experience for me because coming from europe um you know they call it down under here but the <laughs> the the competition calendar was the other way around as well you know where we would start racing in in uh northern hemisphere winter short course uh, Australia was uh, uh, shifting to short course in their winter, but that collided with our international interest. So I think that has been a major, major shift on the on the high performance end, but but having an impact on the whole swimming community definitely as well. Mm. Obviously, now currently with a with a national championships in April, um, so the, and and also the age championships uh, there. That hasn't changed, but it's not combined with trials anymore, obviously. Mm. So, um, and and then of course, yeah, the work with the, with the coaches and the athletes on team. I think over the last few years, particularly, uh, we really worked on a very strong team culture. Uh, people supporting each other on team and off team, uh, and I think. 
yeah, particularly in the last few years again, that has led to uh, some some great results with uh, with the Dolphin swim team. Mate, you've led me into it beautifully. You're a, you're a, the professional that I thought you would be. But, uh, you know, you came in at a pretty important time for swimming in Australia, and it wasn't too far removed from you know the London Olympics, and certainly you know the public perception of the team probably wasn't as positive as it had been around that time. You know, did you have to address that, you know, moving forward? Um, you know, because obviously you have, you know, it's done a 180 in terms of the public perception and, and just talking to the swimmers. There's so many leaders amongst the group at the moment. Um, and as you said, everyone's so mature and, and so switched on. How did you address that or did you even have to? Well, yes, it, it definitely has had the attention uh, over the last uh, six, seven years and uh, I was fortunate when I came in the country uh, that was almost 18 months post uh, the London Olympics. And, and that must have been a very difficult time for swimming in Australia with uh, all the reviews going on. And um, what I still sensed when I came in is that there was, um, yeah, not the highest possible level of cooperation, not between coaches, but also not between coaches and, for example, Swimming Australia. Uh, I think the damage um, uh, that a London Olympics had done was was really in the in the space of trust between people. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying people weren't well intentioned, but but it definitely damaged some trust, and and as a result people w- wouldn't work together as effectively as it as it could be so that definitely immediately uh, had my attention and through yeah visiting coaches contacting them uh trying to bring them together more often which definitely has happened a, a lot more in the last few years as well i i needed a bit of time you know to adjust uh to the new situation for me you know mm. transitioning of pool deck going into a leadership role in a different country with a different culture uh, was a, was a bit of a challenge for myself, obviously as well. Uh, but and and then finding the way. Well, where in this country can I actually, or we as an organization, uh, make a difference? And uh, yeah, so so there's definitely been a focus on on a lot of yeah creating more positive relationships if that makes sense oh 100 mate you touched on it there that decision to come to australia i think it was 2013 how difficult was that and what drew you sort of our way well actually uh, i i would never have have guessed in my life that i would become uh the head coach of of australia you know and uh this country has so many great coaches and such a rich swimming history that I never would have expected that they would, yeah, have an outward look, you know, a global look mm-hmm. to see, well, who, who can be the next head coach here. But obviously, and and uh, I think, uh, you know, when, when I was asked to come over here, because it, it, it started with a phone call uh, of Michael Scott back in the days, who was the performance director in, in 2013, he actually, in, in 2013, in May, gave me a phone call uh, asking if I would be interested in such a role. And uh, I was I was really surprised by that question. But I said, yeah, sure. I, I, I was at, at that point in time, I was performance director in the Netherlands mm-hmm. of swimming. 
Uh, I, I actually just transitioned. Uh, London, the London Olympics was really my last Olympics as a as an individual coach with Ronomi Chroma with Jojo there. Yep, yep. And uh, after that, I transitioned to uh, becoming a full time performance director. But yeah, actually, it was it was a dream I didn't have to come to Australia. But at the same time, it was a dream come true because, of course. Everybody, um, yeah, looks up to great swimming nations, and and Australia is definitely one of them. So I was surprised by the question. Uh, then the ball got rolling, and I I got into uh, to Melbourne for an interview. That was October 2013, and it was uh, yeah, the deal was settled soon, and yeah, I was looking forward to start somewhere here. And for me. Yeah, I, I think the advantage was that the problems in 2012 were apparently so big that it was maybe better that somebody from the outside who wasn't part of the history and and everything that had happened. Mm. Uh, yeah, sometimes it is a benefit to come in uh, without yeah any judgment or any previous knowledge of what actually happened and and some fresh eyes over what what happens with swimming in this country. Mate, you landed on the Gold Coast. How, how did you how did you get to there? Did, did someone tip you off or did you already know when you came over I want to go to the Gold Coast? No, no, no. I uh, uh, let's say in October uh, 2013 when I came here, I didn't know Gold Coast existed. Yeah. Uh, I, I never, never heard of it. Of course, I heard of Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne and Perth. I've been to world championships there as well. And obviously the Sydney Olympics. But I never, really never heard of Gold Coast. And the same Michael Scott actually said, listen, there's a there's a nice city there. Mm. Uh, go, go have a look if you like it. Uh, and if you could live there. And obviously with, with two kids... Uh, to be enrolled in school, that was very important for me as well. So, yeah, and also there, I've been very fortunate because the house that I'm in now, we moved in seven years ago, which is quite unique as well. And, uh, yeah, fortunate with the school as well. My kids go to Somerset School here Uh, on the Gold Coast, which is a fantastic place, really. And they took so such good care of our kids uh so yeah we that was an ideal combination and yeah i think the side benefits of it it is it's a beautiful area uh with with amazing beaches and everything so yeah we couldn't have been luckier here i was lucky enough to uh go to somerset um to do an interview with ash callis so i got to go on pool deck and sit and have a chat with him great facilities the pools you know uh, a brilliant pool Do, do your boys are they into swimming uh, the the oldest one is a little bit, but he sees more part of the the fitness squad. I, I think, uh, unfortunately for them, they have the same talent as I had myself in swimming. So that means <laughs> not a lot. Uh, but they do like it. You know, I always loved swimming and I loved competing and training, and and that that is what got me into coaching really. Uh, but the honesty is, I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> That's all good. Now, mate, one thing that struck me in doing this podcast, and we touched on it a little bit before, was you know that the Australian team at the moment there's a lot of leaders. Um, you know, I know there's a leadership group in there, but in the sense that you know all these guys have a you know sense of duty towards you know leading and and passing on, um, on sort of information and, and advice to each other. 
Um, the team feels probably as mature as I've ever seen it and as focused as I've ever seen it. How proud are you of that? Yeah, that is probably uh, what I'm most proud of. Uh, let's say changing structures and systems and timings of trials and competitions, that's, that, that's one thing. But changing a, a culture and the way we do things on team is another. And I, I think that's probably what I'm most proud of, that at the moment the team is really athlete and coach-led. So we have very strong athlete leaders at the moment who also get development through the organization in terms of their own leadership, because going into a leadership uh, role is, of course, exciting, but but getting some tools uh, through leadership courses and, and talking to each other, talking a lot to each other about how we want the team, what we want to see in the team, uh, the behaviors, the values, etc., uh, that has definitely lifted this team to another level. Uh, the same with all the coaches. Uh, we're currently working with four coach leaders, but uh, we've gone through uh, leadership development with pretty much all the coaches. So the whole model of leadership on team indeed has shifted. Mm -hmm. So this is why in the last three years here, I've I've not been the national head coach on team, but the national team director. And and now it's not so much about a title, but it's more about uh, what that means on team. So as a national team director, you're pretty much the team leader and you're overlooking, you have oversight of all the areas. So meaning the technical area, obviously that's coaches and athletes, but also media, commercial, uh, health, uh, support staff, and all these things that you have on team that make performance possible. All these areas are lead, led again by other leaders on the team. So um, I think a, a massive difference between six, seven years ago and now is that actually the team is really led from within, mm. not just a head coach saying, well, this is the way we're going. Of course, you play a role in setting the vision and, and supporting the structure and doing everything. But uh, yeah, truly empowering people to take lead roles on team. And I think hopefully that is what you have seen reflected on, on the national team at the moment. Oh, 100%. Uh, as I said, you know, one of my questions I always ask the swimmers is, um, you know, who are the leaders or, you know, who is the leader of the team or who do you go to? And uh, more often than not lately, they've all just been saying, to be honest, we, you know, we can go to anybody. Um, yes, there is a leadership group, but, you know, they've all said that, you know, they feel they can go to, you know, Tommy Fraser Holmes or Alex Graham or, it, you know, it doesn't have to be the Campbell sisters. It could be MC Bomb. It could be anybody. They, they You know, they've got a lot of... Um, you know, people that I guess have those leadership qualities, which, as I said, is a credit to yourself and that culture you've been able to create there. Have you sensed that your role as head coach has turned into more, as you just mentioned there, you know, looking after the team and making sure that you've taken sort of the pressure off so the athletes can be athletes, the coaches can be coaches and everyone can get on with their job in sense of, you know, the media and, and all that sort of stuff? Yes, yeah, well, the, the the role is twofold. So year-round, you know, you're the national head coach traveling around, looking at programs, connecting with coaches, talking about their planning and training and the like, and, and obviously you're sometimes on pull deck just to maintain that connection with athletes as well. 
so that's one part of the role. Uh, and that's more the year-round part. Uh, on team, so let's say the last five, six weeks, going from trials into uh, the benchmark event, you're uh, the team director. And that is indeed where you have this oversight. Of course, a lot of preparation happen, happens year-round as well during our campaign leadership teams uh, in setting it all up. But, but during the execution, indeed, um, you are a little bit, yeah, probably the shield of the team. Mm -hmm. So everybody can go about their business uh, because sometimes, and well, I think last year was a classic example of that. Sometimes, or maybe always, things do happen on team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we had the case with Shana Jack. We had the case with Mac Horton. And I always keep saying, like, it's not such a problem. Nobody wants these things to happen, but it's not such a problem that things happen, but it's more how you respond to it. And are you able to maintain your focus on performance? Mm. And I think due, due to the internal leadership uh, from the athlete leaders and the coaches, we've actually managed to go through these incidents, if you may call them that, uh, without getting distracted for, from performance and I think that has been established particularly on team. So whatever happens on team, a team like Swimming Australia will always have certain things happen. And, and obviously media is on top of those things. And that's another, you know, sometimes they that can potentially throw a spanner in the works. But the trick is not to become too distracted by that. Trust the people who manage and deal with that side and so you can just maintain your focus on on the performance because at the end of the day, that's what you're there for. Mate, 100%. I think that's some great advice there and a great takeaway for people listening. Mate, some massive names have been unearthed here in Australian swimming under your tenure. Uh, Ariane Titmus, Kyle Chalmers, Mac Horton, Clyde Lewis last year. That 200 freestyle was phenomenal. You know, how enjoyable has it been for you as the head coach to have sort of that front row seat in the redevelopment of swimming here in Australia and, and to see it grow and, and where it's heading to now? Well, it, it, it's, it has been a privilege from the very first and I hope to the very last second. You know, at, at this point in time, I'm, we're in transition mode, so I'm supporting Rowan Taylor to, uh, to get ready for the role. Uh, of, of course, he is already ready for the role, but there's a lot of work to carry over. Um, but it has been so enjoyable to see these highlights and moments, uh, appreciating that I, I've always struggled with the name head coach, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, I think because at the end of the day, as a head coach, you're, you're actually not coaching anyone. Maybe you're managing and you're leading people, but you're not coaching athletes. Mm. So all credits really to the coaches. I, I think at the end of the day, the coaches – and the athletes together as teams, they have done a great job in, in getting Swimming Australia or Australian Swimming back on track. Uh, I think all, all credit to them. But to your question, yes, of course, it has been fantastic to watch these amazing moments in swimming. And yeah, when I came into the role and coming from the Netherlands, I, I, I'd never been to a Commonwealth Games, uh, for example, but... I must say that here on the Gold Coast, of course, Commonwealth Games doesn't rank the same as an Olympics or a World Championships. 
but it was an amazing and incredible event to have, uh, let's say, on home soil and for the team. Uh, and coming away with that crazy amount of medals was definitely a highlight as well. So there's there's so many highlights and so many good people coming through at the moment. Yeah. Uh, that yeah, I hope and I, I actually believe that the future for uh, swimming in Australia is very bright. Mate, you've led me to it again. I've got to ask. You know, I, we know that you're obviously not going to be there next year as head coach of Australian Swimming. But had the Olympics been this year and you were still in charge, what were your expectations going into the you know the Olympics? And did you have any personal sort of goals? Um, well, again, the the medals and the performances are for the athletes and the coaches. Uh, but looking at how we did particularly the last two three years with the team where we've uh, increased our let's say our level of peak performances during the major event uh so and and for example in rio i think that was uh the the medals and the gold medals obviously were were great but what was disappointing was the low uh, transfer from trials performance towards uh, the Olympics itself. So we, we only had a, a 30% of people improving their peak performance mm. at the benchmark event. And what we've seen over the last three years is that we've been able to lift that to, uh, to a mere 60% of the team doing that. And that, as a result, has, for example, what we saw last year in Guangzhou, um, these relay performances and 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 winning several relays and even breaking world records there uh i i think that was my main goal with the team is to lift the amount or the percentage of peak performance during the olympics and and i think uh well the dress rehearsal for that has been very good and i have actually no doubt that the all the coaches and athletes will proceed doing that Mate, I'd be remiss if while I had you on the phone, I didn't talk about your amazing coaching career and your work with, you know, Peter Van den Hoogerband and De Bruin, many, many more, as you mentioned before. Talk to me about that time for you. I mean, you're at the top of your game, one of the best in the world, producing gun swimmers. Do you ever miss it? Uh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I, I told the coaches, or uh, yeah, that always as well. I said, the end of the day, I've rolled into a position uh, becoming a head coach of Swimming Australia, but that was, it was never a dream for me to become a head coach or a super administrator or, or what, what not. I'm enjoying it nevertheless. But my real dream is and was always to be a coach and working with, well, hopefully great athletes, but, but the, the dream is of a coach is to progress athletes no matter what level they are and uh, trying to make them better uh, in and outside the pool. And yeah, so I, I definitely miss that um, uh, daily engagement and really working on a plan and training daily and, and going through all the peaks and troughs uh, to, to get to a certain performance. So, yeah, I, I definitely miss that. Now, I mentioned those athletes in particular. What made them so special in your eyes, do you think? You, you mean? Which athletes you mean? Uh, Peter and Inge. Uh, well, obviously exceptionally talented, but I think uh, almost all people in the Olympic final are exceptionally talented. Mm. 
So then it comes down to their yeah level of commitment, perseverance, uh, the ability to make um, strong, but also the right choices at the right time. I think that is sometimes an underestimated tool that these gifted athletes need to have. They, they need to make decisions uh, pretty much every day to become uh, that, that great athlete that they are or the talent that they have to, to make that come to fruition. So, yeah, there's a number of factors, but I think, uh, yeah, the work they have put in, their commitment and the belief and trust in themselves, but also in the people working with them, um, that probably most likely leads to uh, a peak performance when it really matters. Mate, what's one of your sort of special memories if you look back to that time and, and coaching those guys and, and being the, the head coach? What, do you have any sort of memories that stand out to you? Oh, well, yeah, there's also there, that's 25 years of, of coaching there myself. There are so many great memories, even from, let's say, athletes that, that never made it to an Olympics. But I think every coach has those stories where you see sometimes a remarkable progression of an athlete that you thought, oh, wow, this is this is really special. And then you see the joy of the athlete. Uh, I don't think... The end of the day, whether you coach on a state level or national level or international level, the difference is, of course, the context and the, the amount of attention it gets. But the job satisfaction really sits in progressing those athletes. And, well, if I can give them a, a one well-known um, example, for me, it was uh, for Peter in Sydney to be the first man uh, to break 48 seconds on 100 freestyle. Mm. So breaking the world record at an Olympics, but also, yeah, that that barrier, of course, that's 20 years ago and now people are breaking <laughs> 47 seconds. But yeah. at that time, 20 years ago, uh, that was remarkable. And, and that is where, as a coach and an athlete, you see your joint effort come together and really... Yeah, really enjoying that moment of wow, we, we we did it actually, and that was that wasn't even in the final. That was the semi-final. Uh, then you still have to win the gold medal, obviously. But uh, to see that come to life, and and all your plan and your training and and everything you thought about, and and for the athlete, everything they put into it. To see that come together, that is probably the joy of coaching, really. Mate, a, a coach's question now, just out of interest. Um, I heard Ian Thorpe on uh, Brett Hawke's podcast the other day saying that, you know, a lot of people are seeing the 200 freestyle wrong, which is why we haven't seen, you know, that that time sort of progress. Similar to the 100, I mean, yes, we're into 46s, but it, it sort of hasn't progressed a long way so from, you know, uh, Eamon Sullivan going 47-0. Is there a reason behind that, do you think? is Are we seeing things sort of not shift as much as it should be? Uh, well, to, to <laughs> say, uh, of course, I think, uh, well, no, no, I don't think. I know that Ian Thorpe obviously was a master in that event, absolute absolute legend. So, But to say uh, uh, that everybody is swimming it wrong, wrong is pretty, pretty black and white. We, <laughs> we have quite a few athletes that can actually pace that 200 very well and, and execute it in a great way. He does have a point, though, uh, that sometimes in 200, 
people are either too afraid to take a risk. Uh, 200 is an event. It, it's, I think, one of the most, and particularly the 200 freestyle, one of the most spectacular events in swimming because of you need a certain amount of endurance, you need a certain amount of speed, you need a lot of courage, you need to really understand what you're doing by not going out too fast, but definitely also not too, too slow. So you really need to to know yourself and your own strategy. And I do, I do think that both Ian and, and Peter were masters in that realm. Mm. Uh, Peter obviously going out a little bit faster because he was a 47 swimmer and, and, and Poppy wasn't. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it's a very, let's say, it's a difficult event to train because the scope of the physiological and technical qualities you need is 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 massive mm. and then from a tactical point of view as well so it's it's difficult to say why the event hasn't progressed that much uh and if we look for example back at 2012 seeing Yannick Agnel doing a 143 it seems like we're far far off that but i do think that a few people uh within really a few years or maybe even next year will suddenly jump to that level yeah. uh, and that is what we've seen before that sometimes events get stuck for a while uh, and going back to peter for example his 47 eight stood for eight years and was then uh, uh let's say only after eight nine years was was broken um, uh, partly because of the introduction of suits, yeah. uh, but but now twenty years later, obviously without a suit, people are way faster. Mm. So sometimes, for for some reason, an event gets stuck for a while, but then suddenly people jump, and when one jumps, uh, a lot of people suddenly jump. So I, I'm actually expecting that to happen within the next one or two years. Good to hear. Now, mate, what's next for you? You've accomplished a lot, you know, both in coaching and obviously a managerial capacity. Do you have any plans moving forward? No, no not yet. <laughs> uh, I actually, the, 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 the best plan I have at this point in time is to really think about what I want to do next. Uh, and that is, well, it, it sounds harder than it, <laughs> or, or it, it is harder than it sounds, I must say, because... Obviously, sometimes you get an offer or people are asking, are you interested in this or would you want to come and do that? And yeah, it's, it's at the moment more about holding people off a little bit uh, to allow myself some time to think, uh, for example, do I want to go back on pool deck uh, because I still love the work of coaching yeah. or do I want a different role and maybe even in a different sport or, or something different altogether? And the, Really, the honest answer is I don't know at this point in time. Mate, I think you've earned a break anyway. I think you've earned the right to sit back, have a coffee, put your feet up there on the Gold Coast and just uh, take your time to think of it for sure. Yeah, well, I'm I'm not so much, you know, I'm, I'm definitely not pleading for a sabbatical. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I'm, I'm, I'm the person to sit still for too long, but there's a lot of exciting things going on in the world anyway, so... Uh, I'm, I'm sure I'll find something, but I, I will allow myself some time, yes. Mate, Rowan Taylor, I mean, he's been on the, you know, the Australian team for, for many, many years and widely regarded as a, a phenomenal coach and, and a brilliant mind in his own right. What will he bring to the team, do you think? 
I think uh, Rowan uh, is is one of these coaches, as you say, like a, a brilliant coaching mind, a lot of technical knowledge. Uh, but what you need in this role uh, is leadership capacity, empathy for people. And I think particularly in that space, he brings a lot. He, he is a great connector of people and he's a great connector with people. And I think that is really a gift in this role. So, uh, yeah, I was very happy. Uh, and of course, we've had internal conversation around that, that he uh, will be the one to follow. Uh, because we've we've worked together for six years. In his first years, he was a coach, then he was a state coach, and now he's transitioning into this role. He's been on team uh, with me, particularly for the last two years as a coach leader. So he was sort of assuming the national head coach role already, mm. overlooking the relays and all those processes combined with that. Um, yeah, and I think he has all the capacity um, I think every person has strengths and weaknesses, but his absolute strengths are bringing people together. And with his level of empathy, um, uh, I, I think it will go a long way. Mate, I think we'll wrap it up there. Perfect way to end it. Mate, I'm so glad I got the opportunity to have you on the show. I think you've done a phenomenal job as head coach of Australian Swimming really led us out of a difficult time, which I don't think you get enough credit for. So I'm glad I had the opportunity to let you know that. And not only did you lead us out of uh, you know a difficult time, but you've obviously put us on the path to, to where many are saying, you know, we could be seeing our best results next year in Tokyo for the last two decades, which you can be super proud of. So mate, thank you very much for uh, coming on Off The Block Swimming podcast. You're most welcome. Very, uh, it was totally my pleasure. The whole seven years and this show. Uh, so uh, thanks, thanks <laughs> to all, and thanks to all for from swimming in Australia because it has been an incredible journey. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by Pro Swim Workouts. Now, episode thirty-six continues, and it's just one click away with part two. My chat with Australian swimming superstar and crowd favourite, Miss Bronte Campbell. Also, on part two, I reveal some big news surrounding season three of the podcast, when it's coming, and what you all can expect when Off The Blocks returns. So before you forget, head back onto your phone, find part two, and click on it to hear Bronte and I have a chat. But if you're a big fan of the music at the end of the podcast and you still want to hear it, this is for you. See you on the other side, guys. I just want to be with you.